All right, there's a few things on the back table. One of them was the uh, uh, Bible handout from last week. Um, I like sitting, but maybe I won't, ha- I won't get a chance to. The, uh, so you, you, if you want to use your Bible, great. If you want to use a piece of paper, that's fine too. No problemo. The next thing that was listed there is Jesus Christ, the apple tree. I printed 35 of those. Hopefully, we... That is uh, purely a Pastor Nelson thing. Jesus Christ, the apple tree is a great, great song from uh, the 17th century. And we're going to listen to it right now. Because, you know, we're studying the song of songs, so why not start class with a song, right? All right, it's a very pretty song. For some reason, it's on Christmas albums. Okay, now why in the world did I uh, start class with that? Anybody read for last week? So, a song. I'm going to call it Song of Songs, by the way. So, that's how it starts. I know a lot of your Bibles say Song of Solomon. Song of Songs. Chapter 2, verse 3. Right, Vicar? We just, we just looked that up, right? Chapter 2, verse 3, the man is an apple tree. Now, take it one step further, of course. I don't know about you, but this is a great time of the year for apples. A little late, maybe. Well, I don't know. It's, 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 it's prime time, depending on your, like, you know, the kind of apples you like. Going to apple picking on Sunday, by the way. I think we're probably going to go to John and Mac Farms. Polly's here. Yeah, we're going to John and Mac. Uh, okay, when I, go, when I go to an apple orchard and I'm picking apples, inevitably what do I do? I eat them. I eat as many as I put in the bag. Or that's a goal of mine, actually. So my teeth are like, you know, on fire. So much apple juice. The thing is, though is that, you know, after I eat all my apples and, you know, Daphne and Penelope, they're still small enough where I, can, I like to pick them up a lot because I know there will become a point in time where I cannot. So I was like, ugh, Dad. And what do I do when I pick them up? I give them what? Kisses. Dad, your breath, it smells like Apples. Now, if you go into Song of Songs, chapter 7, verse 9 or 10, even though I told you to grab the handouts, I did not grab them. So if you call me a hypocrite, well, that's okay. I think it's, is it verse 9 or verse 10? Plus, I don't even have my Bible up here. I'm I'm totally unprepared to come here. Uh, Chapter 7, it's in red. Eight. Lo and behold, the female's breath smells like apples. Hey, thanks. Thanks, Pastor. Yeah. Her breath smells like apples because she has been chewing on the apple tree. So Jesus Christ is the apple tree to which we feed ourselves with. And I pray that my breath smells like apples, too.
Why in the world, of, co of course, you know, why, was it, why would it be great to smell, have your breath smell like apples? It's because you're, yeah, you're consuming Jesus. You're, you're one with him. So, so every Pastor Nelson class, we're going to start with this song, Jesus Christ Apple Tree. Not everyone can make the prayer time in the, at 9 o'clock. No problemo. So we're going to have Jesus Christ Apple Tree be our prayer time, too. Okay, the other handout that's over there is just, is just the class outline. Take it, leave it. I might take it or leave it, too. I don't know. All right, so today's goal for our, our class is really, we might get to the Bible today in terms of, like, actually studying a verse but I'm still, I still want to kind of talk about Song of Songs as a whole. Um, yeah. Because I, I, I have a feeling it's still a little strange, Song of Songs. And I want everyone to have fun with the Song of Songs. I can't tell you, every time I, I mean, I just read it to the vicar, I was like, ah, I forgot where the apple tree verse was. Can you look it up? So he looks it up. And then I'm like, the apple breath. I'm like, I get excited about that stuff. And I want you guys to be excited too. All right, so, what's your favorite song? I ask the confirmation kids all the time, what's your favorite song? Yeah, you know, pop it up. It could be, you know, it doesn't have to be lifetime favorite. Maybe it's what's in your you know, we don't have these anymore. Mixtapes. By the way, I think Song of Songs is a mixtape. I know Pastor Bukes said it was a unifying narrative. That's, that's probably mainly true, but it's not as cool as a mixtape. Right? I mean, you know, it's, he, it's a he song, it's a she song, it's these others. Yeah, it's like a mixtape. All right, anyways, um, what's your favorite song? Anybody, anybody got a favorite song? I, I can tell you mine right off the top. Okay, Marilyn. Oh, getting right to the Christian songs. <laughs> nice. My only, I only have eyes for you. I, is that a Christian hymn? I, no, no, not, uh, Kirby said, uh, I only have eyes for you. That's a Christian song? Oh. I'm talking to too many people here. Who, who sings that song? Uh, okay, that's the next question. You know, kind of why is your favorite song? Now, I have lots of favorites, by the way. So, I mean, this is not a pressure question, okay? This is not a right or wrong question. Um, anybody else want to say what their favorite song was? Kirby already said, because I danced at my wedding. Does anyone have, I mean, does anyone listen to music, maybe? I don't know. Maybe you guys don't listen to music. I don't know. If you do, if you don't, you just got to start, okay? It's the Christian thing to do, listen to music. All right. Um, my, uh, my favorite songs right now, one is by Eero Pert, it's an Estonian composer. It's called Fratis. Although, to get a little more sacred, deep Okay, says the celloist over here. That's not a song. <clears throat> so for some of us who, you know, are like down here, Cindy, and not up here, 
Yes, when I said song, I meant a, a piece of music. Yes. I was trying to be more, you know, kind of, you know, general. So that's a, that's a piece, that's a, that's a cello piece. Uh, it can be played with piano. I've heard it with the, uh, the harp. It's beautiful. Um, also, another Ervo Parrot song is uh, De Profundis, Psalm 130, Out of the Depths. It's a beautiful piece. But I like it, a lot of things from the Lumineers, the Gale song. I mean, I listened to these things last night, so the Gale song's beautiful. It's, it's, a, it's a song of kind of heartbreak, emotion. It's good. But deep love. Anyways, um, why are those my favorite? Well, because they touch me, not just in my brain, but also in my heart. So, like Kirby's example, why is this your favorite? Because, I mean, because I dance to it. That's actually very appropriate to what we're going to talk about today. So let's just jump right to it. So, um, but before that, though, movie soundtracks. Movie soundtracks make or break the movie. I have a little funny example. No, the reason why I say that is, well, we'll, we'll get to the point why I'm saying this in a second. All right, I have, uh, you know, YouTube. I love YouTube. Okay, so uh, this is a scene from Lord of the Rings. If you haven't seen it. That's probably the Christian thing to do, too. You should. Um, it's a, uh, so there's this very kind of like, uh, well, yeah, it, I don't need to explain it. Just kidding. We went from having very loud music to no music at all. Praise the Lord, guy. It sure does. What happens when your life is played without music? That's the original soundtrack. The next one is pretty funny, even funnier than. This is the love story sound.
Okay, you get the point. Um, first of all, I, I mean, I can't believe people spent the time doing that, but I think that somebody must have thought, hey, they had the same idea. All right, so the whole point, though, is, is that um, a movie with the wrong soundtrack conveys a lot of different things, a lot of different realities. And, and we're going to get to the Song of Songs because doctrine um, without a song is hard to hear, or doctrine with the wrong song is actually offensive. And with the Song of Songs, I, I'm going to say is it's the soundtrack of Holy Scripture. So now let's go to dancing, and we'll spend a lot of time with... So dancing. Kirby couldn't have you know, said an easier answer for me. Why was this my favorite song? Because I would dance to it at my wedding. Dancing with or without music. Uh, I really believe only... I mean, children have an easy time dancing without music. I think that's because life is musical for them. But for some of us, you know... Uh, you know, I might know the steps, but I need to have music to make it just right. Uh, you know, I forgot what's, oh man, what's the old dance thing, the, you know, back 40 years ago, there's a, you go dance, you learn dancing at the, uh, who's the guy that had the, Arthur Murray. Arthur Murray, thank you. You know, you can go to Arthur Murray, learn all the dance steps, and you can, you can get it very precise, but of course, dancing is not mechanical. I mean, if they ever have robots dancing, it's going to be like, eh, okay, maybe. All right. So um, on the flip side, too, though, it's hard to dance to a song you haven't heard before. So you find out a title of a song and you haven't heard it, well, then how, how am I supposed to dance to it? And so um, this is very applicable to the Song of Songs because um, learning Christian doctrine without the song is like learning dance steps without music. So, it, it, and this is, this, this is why, you know, I feel like it's, it's a great idea to, to learn about Song of Songs. So, doctrine without a song is hard to hear, much less believe. Having the correct doctrine without a great way of teaching, it will muffle the truth, if not cause people to disbelieve, because it grates against the ears. I didn't look up the word grates. I don't know if that's actually right. But anyways... And, you know, why do I say this? Well, look around and, and think about how many confirmation classes turn into graduation from church. Uh, I, I can't tell you how many uh, parents have come up to me and said, you know, when I learned confirmation, it wasn't like this. It was the pastor making me memorize certain answers to questions. there might be a direct correlation between the fact that some pe- people don't go to church anymore and the way they've been taught the faith. I mean, why would, I, I mean, why would you come to church if the Christian faith was simply memorizing answers to questions? Okay, so, and the proof is in the pudding. So, learning the steps of the dance without music is learning doctrine without the relationship with God. Doctrine. Now, when I say doctrine, I mean kind of propositional truths, kind of words on a page. You know, doctrine without beauty isn't the gospel. I'm sure there's many pastors who say, doctrine's beautiful. Well, that, that's, that's, that's true, actually, but that's not how pe- normal people talk. Um, when Jesus says, follow me, he means, follow my lead. The, the Christian faith is a, is a dance between Christ and you. 
The liturgy has been described that way. God makes the move. We follow his lead in the liturgy. Uh, and, and that's just the way we worship as we live, too. So when Christian doctrine is presented without beauty, the heart's turned off and shuts down, even if what's being presented is true. Worse still, when Christian teaching is set to an ugly tune, so to speak, it makes our heart cringe. Yeah, it, just, it just grates against the ears. It's like, you know, watching... I mean, so the movie scene, right? It's this uh, pilgrimage. It's this, you know, grandiose imagery of these guys on a journey, and then all of a sudden, you know, it's clown songs and Mission Impossible, and it just it says something very different. So, with good reason, we're made for beauty. And when the version of Christianity with which we present it doesn't supply it, we seek it elsewhere. And that's precisely what we see in a lot of people labeled millennials. They do exist, by the way. It's not a myth. They're out there. Um, millennials. They're starved for beauty, and they're looking for it. Uh, but anywhere, if we look for beauty any, anywhere besides our relationship with Christ, it's a cheap substitute at best and idol worship at worst. And I think that maybe you and Pastor Bukes talked a little bit about the difference between use and love. We'll talk a little bit more about that today. It's idol worship. Rather than loving someone, using someone, it's idol worship. But, all right, so this is the background in my mind when I think about the Song of Songs. I think about, yeah, dance. I think about everything that makes a good dance good. The right song, the right steps, and what, what would be the third ingredient. Now, does anyone watch Dancing with the Stars? I don't. Because I live Dancing with the Stars. Okay? Dance party at the Nelson House, regular. Regular occurrence. Well, my kids like to dance with me. And then, you know, here's the thing. Every time I give Holly a hug, my kids are like, So. Yeah. They're always like, Mom and Dad, stop singing together. So. All right. Uh, oh, so anybody watch Dancing the Stars? I'm sorry. So, okay. So, yes, they have the right music. The right, you know, they have the right dance steps. Well, what's, what's that thing that those judges are kind of looking for? The what? The chemistry. That's right. The, the, yeah. The, did you say pizzazz? That's right. The pizzazz, the passion, the feeling. Okay. That's, I, I mean, when I said, I mean, that's the Song of Songs helps facilitate that. All right. So the Song of Songs. Scripture begins with a marriage, Adam and Eve. Scripture ends with marriage in the book of Revelation. And smack dab in the middle is what? Song of Songs. You got another, you got another you know, marriage in the middle. So, um, it, yeah, so I think I already said that. It's the ultimate song. That's the Song of Songs. I don't know if Pastor Beeks mentioned that. So the Song of Songs, it's the ultimate song. And that's, you know, that's how the first verse of the Scripture says, the Song of Songs, Song of Solomons, or something like that. But the Song of Songs, the Canticle of Canticles. The ultimate. This is it. Okay. So it is, I think it's the soundtrack of Scripture. 
So what sort of music is it? What sort of relationship does it facilitate? Just like at Kirby's wedding, I'm sure that song helped facilitate a, a certain sort of relationship between her and Pastor Bruzek. I don't know if it was Pastor Bruzek in the room when you said, his, you know, should we test him? What? I, I, to be honest, I'm going to fail this test. I know it was a Frank, was it a Frank Sinatra song we danced to, babe? No. Uh. Harry Connick Jr. Yes. Yeah, I said it had to be you. Okay. Took me a minute or two, but that's all right. It was in there. Yeah, okay. All right. Um, all right, so what sort of music is it? What sort of relationship does it facilitate? I gave my answers. It's intimate music, it's passionate, and it's, it's joyful. When you read Song of Songs, there is a relationship that's intimate, it's passionate, it's joyful, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, we'll get to another word in a little bit that I didn't put in there, because uh, I didn't want to just throw it out there too early, but anything else about, uh, so, okay, so this is my question, how many people read it this last week, and how many, what are your initial thoughts about it? Oh, yeah, Kirby, before we get to that. Holly might have mentioned it. I can't remember. I think it was Holly who last week who said it seems kind of like one is God and one is us. You know? Yes. Um, and I noticed only the woman who is supposedly God says beloved, is, uses the word beloved. He, the, the man never uses the word beloved. So the word beloved is used like 12 or so many times. Right. When referring to. That's right. And it, it, that, that sort of made uh, what Holly said. Yeah, Holly said the red is, uh, it sounds like God speaking. Yeah. And I think yeah, Pastor Buke said, what did Pastor Buke say? Holly told me so this morning <laughs> over breakfast. That's not what most commentators say. <laughs> well, we're going to explore it. We'll figure this out. Uh, okay, so par- part of understanding the Song of Songs is that it is a, it's, it's a, it's a love poem between a, a man and a woman. But it's not just a man and a woman. But it is about a man and a woman. So there's a human love aspect to it. But of course, human love is never enough for, for humanity, right? We need, we need a better love than human love. So within the human love, the human love is saturated with divine love. Because that human love is saturated. Now, how do we know it's saturated with divine love? Because it's it's so unrealistic. <laughs> I'm teasing. I mean, yeah. Here's the thing. Many of us. To quote a child's song, because the Bible tells me so. <laughs> that's right, and that's very that's actually very important. I mean, obviously, it's holy scripture, so we know it's divine. But but the description uh, is there's there's it's almost like the effects of sin haven't really taken full effect in the Song of Songs, and that's that's that's. On purpose. It's supposed to be that way. Um, so saturated with divine love means then that there is another relationship going on within the Song of Songs, and that is over church tradition, it was Christ in the church, and then like the Word of God or God in the, in the soul, the person. So all those are in play as we read the Song of Songs, but we can't annihilate one for the other because it makes us uncomfortable. So the way 
So like the apple tree, right? Um, if our, our breath smells like apples, that means we've been, we, we've been chewing on Jesus. We've been, well, the first verses is we're mouth to mouth with Jesus. We don't like that. I mean, that's kind of weird, right? Now, we'll get to why it, it might feel uncomfortable. But we can't say, you know, there's this passionate love between man, man and woman, and we'll say, well, it's really about Jesus and, and the church. It's just about the sacraments. But we can't rush to that because now we're annihilating kind of the human aspect. And then we're also then annihilating what God has for us in our life even now. So they're all in play. But we have to hold them in the right balance to to kind of get the fuller truth out of it. Okay. So as you read the Song of Songs this last week, what were some of your impressions? Or no impressions? You don't have to. I mean, it's kind of, you know, I know it's nerve-wracking to reveal some of these things in front of people, but hopefully I'm the best example of no shame. Talked about that last year, right? There's between shamelessness and no shame. I border on the wrong one oftentimes. Julie! Uh, I just noticed how sensory it is, so there's lots of fragrance. Yes. Um, I'm just you know, all the senses. Like, I like. That's exactly right. Very sensual. I'm going to call it sensual. Uh, we're going to bring Nard into class. Now, not real nard, because it's super expensive, and I, I really don't know how to get a hold of it. But it's nard, it's oil infused with some nard. Because that has very important connotations for Jesus, because he was anointed with nard before his, his death. But, we have to let these sensual things explode. Um... I was at a class where nard was, like, real nard was put into a bowl at the beginning of the week, and you could smell it the entire week. It was like, it was like this, you know, like this much nard, and the room was bigger than this room, and you could smell it for the entire week. So when Julie talks about the senses, these are not, you know, sanitized. I mean, they are earthy. Is earthy. Yes, uh, Holly. Oh, um, two things. You know, the, the black part. I don't, obviously, that's when the words. That's when the words are repeated, actually. Uh, I didn't notice that the first time I read it, but um, in chapter four. That's right. It's like black and goats, and then and it goes like a few lines down, and then it repeats it again. Chapter 6, um, your hair is like black and goats, which I find to be, and it repeats kind of the same thing. And I know, I know when things are repeated in scripture, there are importance, but nothing about it seemed like, you know, I mean, it's like your teeth are like classic views. Like, so significant. All right, yeah, this is a good point. Some of the metaphors that are used in Song of Songs are hard for us to quite get. And some are really obvious, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah, so Holly's already mentioned, when it's repeated, it, 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 we should take notice of it. You know, it's like a refrain in a song, it's said over and over again. Um, 
And so as we study through the text, we'll kind of explore a little bit more about what in the world, you know, I mean, I, I don't know if a woman's like, you know, hey, your hair is like a flock of goats. Like, oh, thank you so much. I mean, that's something beautiful. All right? So the, the point would be it, there's a, it's a sign of beauty because it's a compliment. It's supposed to be like a, you know, a fascination with the, the woman. The other thing, too, about this is, uh, as Holly mentioned, was the fact that there's, less, there's more red than black. Yes, men have a, do have a tendency to kind of speak less than women. This is not a, you can't, a man can't justify now because, oh, it's in the Bible. I don't have to talk as much. Okay. Uh, it's actually a, a, a truth. I, I can't remember if I put this in the outline. But why, why would, this, why would the, the song start with the woman? We've already said it, so. Holly. Uh, That's right. So uh, God made the first move. So we got the response in the first verses. She's responding to something, right? Plus it's anti-culture. Yeah, the woman, man. She's flipping it around here. Like it's usually the man in charge. Like, that's right. This is interesting. It's the female that's... She's uh, the instigator. Or, or, yeah, I mean, the one who kind of drives this, the, this poem a little. Yeah. But it, yes and no. It, it, it's, it's, what is it? It's, it's mutual. It's both. Which echoes Genesis chapter 2, which we'll get to maybe today. There was uh, Nancy, I think you had a hand up. Yeah. Okay, maybe this is covered yesterday, but I have a big problem with one song. The first it was supposed to be by Solomon, who had Julian concubines, yeah. hundreds of wives. <laughs> which one is he writing this for? I mean, it seems kind of yeah, so yeah, there's a couple of traditions. One is uh, uh, you know uh, Sheba, the the daughter of Pharaoh. Um, other other traditions, though, even early traditions, and even in the Reformation, uh, the, no, people didn't think Solomon wrote this. Solomon was a a because uh, it's an idealized love. But Solomon means what? Peace, right? So you have a king of peace. Anybody who reads the biblical narrative know that. I guess that lasted for a little bit, right? <laughs> he was king of peace for a little bit before he. Uh... Well, what did he? What did Solomon do? Using kind of the language of uh, you know relationship. It's a word we don't like using. We might say he became an idol worshiper, but that's not exactly what the Bible says. Yeah, well, the word is hoard, right? He hoard after other gods. That would be lustful. You guys talked about lust, right, last week? Okay, well, then we might, we'll probably talk about it today. Maybe, I don't know, we'll see. Because um, one, one, one of the struggles with the kind of the, the language of the Song of Songs is that we, we kind of think about, we have a problem, you know, with lust, you know, so we don't like talking about how beautiful women's breasts are because we think kind of pornography. But if our love has been redeemed, then 
the discussion of, of a body is the discussion of a person. That goes by Genesis 2. Got to remember our stuff from last year. So when um, Song of Song, or when Solomon goes after these other idols, he he's lusting. You see, I don't think a lot. Of, okay, so by the way, so when he marries all these other wives, he's not just marrying an individual, but he's marrying also what she worships. So we don't. I don't know. Yeah. So I should have. I mean, I can't move too fast there. So. The offense is not just some rule broken about polygamy. It's the fact that Solomon became an idol worshiper. And what we don't understand, too, is uh, does anyone know how Baal worship work, worked? What was part of their liturgy? Yeah, three-letter word, Sex. Well, there's like, te- yeah, I don't know the details exactly, except for it was, yeah, it was very lustful. It was gross. So, so, so Solomon, so Nancy, Nancy's uh, question is, yeah, you, get, you should have a big problem with this. However, again, we go back to what Carol said, right? Because <laughs> it's in the Bible, we can't just be like, yeah, forget it. So we have to ask ourselves, what's going on here? And, and people from, from Revergo have asked that question. And, and again, too, I think sometimes we use Solomon's polygamy as a say, oh, well, look, he can't even follow his own advice. You know? Don't have to read it. Don't have to deal with it. I, 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 I don't really think he did. That doesn't mean that it wasn't inspired by Solomon's person or wisdom. Um. Now, he could have wrote it insofar as, um, you know, like this is an idealized reality. Like this is something he wanted, but he, he was basically a weak person when it came to his leadership. So that's, that could be true. It's just that, I mean, Nancy's critique is a real one, and we have to kind of wrestle with it. But at the same time, we can't let that derail us from the words on the, on the page, too, what it teaches. So, Krista. Um, I think... Salomon was a very, um, a very smart and clever businessman. You know, uh, many of his yeah, he uses sex. Yep. Many of his wives have uh, princesses. Oh yeah, right. Um, and uh, um, uh, and you know, and I think he widened his kingdom immensely. Yeah. Again, once again, though, it's not a it's not a political issue when you widen your kingdom in the old days. Politics and religion are together. So you can't, you can't just marry a princess from another kingdom without marrying her god. I mean, that's just this, this it. So when Solomon marries other wives, he is worshiping their god, her gods. Now, he might still be made, hey, you can do it all. You can worship Yahweh still. It's no big deal, right? I mean, that's why it's such an offense. It's, it's, uh, it's just crazy, right? Okay, now, the point, though. Any other reflections on the Song of Songs? Nancy was, I'm just kind of moving across the room here. Yes, Barb. I, I just, I guess because I had the same feelings that Nancy did last week, but um, I, I guess I, how I've kind of internalized it, 
Yeah. What Adam and Eve had before the fall. That's right. That's exactly right. That, that this is what it should be. It, it, it isn't because there was the fall. Well, it is and it isn't. Yeah, I mean, it isn't because we're sinful. It is because God is, is uh, merciful and a great redeemer. Yep. And it's kind of like this is, you know, okay, we blew it, but this is what it could have been, and this is what we should seek, but we're never really going to get it. Well, let's, let's, not, let's not have such a defeatist attitude, because there's, there's times, there's times uh, where, you know, in our lives the veil's revealed. Actually, that's a good segue. St. Francis of Assisi, he, uh, there's a story, you know, he was praying to Jesus and he said, I want to hear the music of heaven. And he's like, no way. God's like, Jesus is like, no way. You're, you can't handle it. You can't handle the truth. And St. Francis says, just one note. Jesus said, all right, fine. He gets one note and St. Francis wakes up from his coma like four days later. You know, it was so much it rendered him unconscious. The, the truth of it, the reality of what God has established, even in spite of... Now, because of our sin, we can't take it in. But praise be to God, he actually still brings this great gift to us, even though we're sinful. And the thing is... The best thing is, is we might not notice it. Now, the thing is, though, it's not just for people who have earthly spouses. That's, that's the thing about the Song of Songs, is that it is about anybody who has a relationship with God. So that's the point, is that if it was really up to us, our relationship with God, yeah, I would have a defeatist attitude. But we say Christ, right? Christ is the one who saves us. And so we have great hope then for our relationship. Yeah, exactly. So then, and then, and so this is that's why it gives gives us hope, not because of just uh, Christ's work, but because of the picture He shows us. We're like, whoa, this is our desire. This is what we want. Yeah, Marilyn. I was thinking about. It makes me think of the story, like at Passover, how they celebrated the escape from the Exodus from Egypt and recounted the story. I feel like this is a recounting of the story. That's great, yeah. Even a chorus. It makes me think of a play, sort of. Maybe on a holy feast day or something that they would... Sure. Yeah. Perform this. Well, that's, that's a theory, right? Did Pastor Beeks mention that? That's a theory about the Song of Songs, is that it actually was something done by... It would be recited by two individuals. I would say in a dramatic... I mean, not as we would think about dramatic... Uh, uh, readings, but it, to give the the, uh, the picture of this dialogue, this love dialogue between the man and the woman. Um, now, th- so this is a great thing, though, is that the Song of Songs shows us a full picture of not what, not just what Adam and Eve have, because what Adam and Eve had was a reflection before the fall. That is, was a reflection of what God has in Himself in the Holy Trinity. Right. So Adam and Eve were made in the image of God. The fullness of that image of God is not just Adam and Eve as being people, but people in relationship to one another. Perfect union, perfect communion, perfect relationship. So that we got that in the Holy Trinity. We get that in Adam and Eve before the fall. 
And now we kind of have an echo of this in the Song of Songs. That's why even though the Song of Songs uses this imagery, this marital imagery, it's not just for married people. And the proof, again, is in the pudding of history. The Song of Songs is a, is a book of the Bible that was so influential on so many Christians. There are, you know, so many old commentaries written on the Song of Songs. They're written by married people, but there are a lot, a lot of the, a lot of the good ones are married by celibate priests and nuns. So how, so that that means something for us is that the Song of Songs is again, it's it's human love. But it's also this uh, reflection of God's relationship with us. And uh, uh, St. Teresa of Avila, I think I have a picture, right? I, I do have a picture. At the, at, in the back, the Bernini statue. It's called the Ecstasy of St. Teresa. You'll see a headshot. I, uh, I have a close-up picture of her head uh, that I'll show at future dates. She's, she's a nun. Never married. But yet she has some very profound meditations on the Song of Songs. And Bernini, the sculptor, used her meditations of the Song of Songs to make this. This is above the altar in a church, by the way. Now you can barely see it, but it's. Uh, uh, the So she has this. Uh, the angel is going to stab her with God's, God's love. That's the love arrow. And her face, it, was, it caused a lot of controversy. Anybody know any little art, art history here? There's a, little, there's a little, little fight between a cardinal and a pope back then. Pope didn't like it. Cardinal did. Pope didn't like it because he used basically a Puritan. He was a Puritan. He didn't like it because of the way she looked. Too sensual. That Pope did not like did not like the way she looked. But the Cardinal, interestingly enough, um, patron of the of the piece, was uh, enraptured by Saint Teresa's meditations. So he it was. It was great. In fact, uh, the, the wider chapel is, uh, there's reliefs on both sides. It's almost like they're in a theater. And uh, the cardinal and his family are just just glued to what what's happening here. It's in an Italian town that I cannot pronounce. Milagansi, something like that. Has anyone ever seen it? In person? Okay. Martha. I was going to say, it's so interesting if you look at the angel's face. Yes. It's that loving as if a mother is going in to kiss their child. It's just a That's exactly right. Loving expression. So the, the meditation goes like this. The, 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 Teresa says, I saw an angel coming, and it was an angel that had this, this uh, loving look. But he, he stabbed her with this arrow that hurt, but it's like the John Mellencamp song. Anybody know it? Make it hurt so good. That's, I mean, that's exactly what it is. And this is where things got a little too, too 
too uh, earthy for the Pope. Cause me to moan. Okay, so, um, so you, this piece is you have all these different things going on where God's love is so much it causes her pain, but God's love is the very thing she desires more than anything. Is this 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 relationship between God? So, but the whole point though is, is that the Song of Songs is not not just for married people. <laughs> the other the other example is Saint Augustine. I have a quote from him from his Confessions which I believe is somewhere in here. Oh, yeah, it's at the very top of the, 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 the back of the first page. From his Confessions, chapter 10, I don't, know, I don't know what they call it, it's paragraph 27. You breathed your fragrance on me. I drew in breath, and now I pant for you. I've tasted you. It should say, now I hunger and thirst for more. You touched me, and I burn with your peace. Woo! As a man talking. This just really shows that the Song of Songs is, a, is an intimate, passionate, and joyful word that's not just for married people and the, uh, the girl parts aren't just for girls and the boy parts aren't just for boys. It's for everybody. Okay? So now with that, with this kind of imagery... We kind of have to linger with the words of the Song of Songs. And now I use the word erotic. The, the erotic imagery makes us uncomfortable. Why? First of all, the word erotic, erotic has been taken over by the world. And we always associate that with lust. But that is not according to Christian history. But before that, though, why are we uh, a little uncomfortable with, you know, a man climbing the woman and grabbing hold of her, you know, her breast, basically, and she's talking about his thighs and moving upward? Well, it goes back to Adam. They are naked without shame. They sin, and what are Adam's first words? No, no. Adam, where are you? I did I write him down? Yeah. I hid myself because I am naked. Shame is a barrier. It, it, what interferes with intimacy? Shame. And from the Garden of Eden, fall into sin, we have had a problem with intimacy. Adam's first problem with intimacy is not simply with Eve, but with God himself. So, when we read the Song of Songs, it makes sense that we're uncomfortable with it, because we are ashamed, because of our sin. But what does Christ do? He forgives us, redeems us, and takes our shame away. This is also within the Old Testament narrative, which I, I, see, I, I can't remember if Pastor Beeks talked to this about. So, the, biggest, uh, the most uh, extreme example of this, aside from Genesis, is Hosea and Gomer. Does, did, he talk, did he mention that at all? Briefly, uh, Gomer is a woman. I know it, it runs contrary to our you know, 1950s TV. Um, Gomer was a woman who was a prostitute. Hosea... Is told by God to marry her, have children with her, 
She goes off. She goes after other guys. She, she whores herself. She's a fill-in for Israel. Who goes after God, other gods, idols. But God tells Hosea, you are going to woo her. You're going to take her into the desert and woo her and speak sweet nothings to her. And then there's a point where she is about to be sold into slavery and Hosea comes out of nowhere and redeems her, purchases her. And he says to her, you're going to be my wife now. I'm going to be your husband. And we are going to live. We're going to live. That's an echo of Adam and Eve. And that really happens. I mean, that's the thing. Gomer is actually redeemed. She's actually now his wife. And now is to live in in that way. So God, through Jesus Christ, has really saved us through the cross, has redeemed us, washes us of our sins, and makes us whole. And now we are ready to enter into the bridal chamber. We get that from Ephesians chapter 5, but we also get that from the Song of Songs too. So, um, so the thing is, is the, the word, the, this erotic imagery uh, is difficult for us, and it's not a new thing, not only because of sin, but also be, uh, Christian history. So and the, the, the word eros, where we get erotic from, is not in the New Testament. It's not in the Bible. And many theories, basically because in, uh, the Bible is in Hebrew origin, once Christianity got in co- contact with Greek culture, eros is now a word of speaking. That's how they talk about love and relationships. And what Christians actually do then is, is basically like what Paul says in, in Acts, you know, hey, I see you worship the unknown God. Let me tell you who he is. Christians say, I, I know you use the word eros, but let me tell you what real eros is. What is real erotic love? Um. And so early on, the church fathers have redeemed Eros and, and now actually use it as a synonym for agape and everything beautiful. Agape versus Eros. It's, there's, not, there's no verses, actually. So the agape word is the Greek word for sacrifice, self-giving love. Um, and that's, that's how usually divine love is described. And that's, it is. I mean, that's what it is. But, I mean, not described, defined. But how is it described? That's where Eros comes in. Eros is meant to reveal and express agape. So agape is erotic. That means it's intimate, passionate, joyful. Hence the imagery of the Song of Songs. I have a video of a very erotic um, thing. Don't worry. My wife has seen this. Uh, Have I shown the double rainbow guy? Here? Okay. Um, I'm not going to test that microphone. I'm just going to use this one. Um, the double rainbow guy. He's, he's uh, expressing himself with arrows. Whoa, that's a full rainbow. All the way. Double rainbow. Oh, my God. 
It's a double rainbow all the way. Whoa, that's so intense. Whoa, man. Whoa. 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 Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. goes on for three and a half minutes. Um, why in the world is that in a, that, that's, that's, that's Eros right there. All right, so first of all, does this guy love rainbows? He loves rainbows. How would you describe his love for rainbows? He's ecstatic. He's reckless. He's very passionate about rainbows. Double rainbows, and if triple rainbows happen, everybody just watch out, okay? Now, the thing is, though, you guys are clearly, what kind of reaction does it cause in us? Laughter. Joyful. But I don't know if you could tell, but he actually starts to to cry at the beauty of the the rainbow, which is extraordinary. Great joy, at the same time, tears. So this that that is that is what Eros is. Eros is this this passionate, reckless love that does he really okay, so uh, so I don't know if you guys are this actually made the news apparently. Um, uh, several years ago, when it when it, when it was you know put on YouTube, uh, yeah, there's a lot of people who who like to to watch that, and a lot of people thought, what about him? He's in the Rockies and he's going crazy over double rainbows. Maybe he had a little you know high altitude sickness. He was definitely high. No, in fact, in fact, people asked him, what were you on? And he said, I was, on, I was high on God's creation. Pure, I mean, this is great stuff, right? I mean, he got this gift from God, and he couldn't, he realized how wonderful he had been loved by God. And so his response is to just give himself completely over to it. Have you ever seen a uh, no. Well, exactly. But I love his. I love. I love his. His. His quote. 
uh, what does this mean? And, and people did ask, you know, what do you thought it means? And he basically thought God loves, loves him. I don't know if he was a Christian. I mean, he didn't talk about Jesus or anything. But, but the reality, though, is, is that the double rainbow guy is a man who is, he's, he, he loves rainbows with an eros love. Okay? But when we say he loves rainbows, he, I mean, it is an agape sort of love, too. I mean, he's, he's giving himself up to rainbows. But at the same time, it is an Eros love because he has completely lost himself into it. Okay? So this is why, uh, but there's bad Eros. Bad Eros is basically where uh, you're turned in on yourself. So you sacrifice others for yourself. Good Eros is you sacrifice yourself for others. And of course, what is the Mel Gibson movie about Jesus called? The Passion. Okay. Um, We're going to just kind of have to stop here, though. But um, so, so bad eros is where you're kind of turned in on yourself, lust, and and good eros is where you're you're turned out for others. And of course, that that resonates with agape. Bad eros means heavenly pleasure without the pain of the cross, joy without sacrifice, ecstasy without agony, Easter Sunday without. Good Friday. Bad Eros is lust. Good Eros is love. And I, I, I put in parentheses the post-communion collect. Um, we use a word called fervent love. Um, fervent love for one another. Fervent. You know, we could probably use a more earthy way of saying it. More song of songs kind of way of saying it. But that fervent love is precisely an Eros sort of love. This double rainbow passion for the other person. Carol. How can you have joy without sacrifice or ecstasy without agony? That's what bad Eros is. But how, how can you have that? How can you have real joy? Well, you can't. That's why, I think, did I write that in there? Or maybe it comes later. It's a cheap, I think I said that already, right? Um, uh, bad Eros is uh, um, a cheap substitute at best. Bad Eros, though, is mainly wor- idol worship. So it's a false, it's a lie. So you can't have joy, even though they think they can. That's what the world does, right? I'm not going to get married to one person because I'm going to keep my options open. Because I'm going to have more joy with more things. You know, it's, it's going to restrict me. Can't be committed. Well, guess what? There's no joy without commitment. It's like when you follow Jesus. Jesus expects you to get out of the boat and follow his lead. Holly, and we got to go. Um, yeah. Jesus being crucified. He was naked, you know. He always, as a kid, I was thought, well, of course, he had like some of the glory. Right. But um, this makes me think of the shame that he is un- unleashing or, or right. so that we can get back to being without shame about how he has made us and go back to this song. That's right. Good job. We, uh, 
that's about the bridegroom business that we didn't get to the last page. So Jesus is crucified naked, taking on the shame of the cross, despising the shame. He endured the cross. But what was that? What's the first part of that verse? Who for the joy set before him? Endured the cross, despising its shame. So Jesus is naked before God and man, without shame. And that is our redemption now. We are fully naked before God and for man. And we are fully naked before God and man. We are now where we should be, how we created us. So I'm just going to briefly say this. So when we see all this bodily description and pleasure in the body of the other in the Song of Songs, the, the, the man and the woman take delight in one another because when they take delight in their body, they take delight in the person. They're not using one another for their own gratification. That's lust. But they are like Adam when he sees Eve for the first time. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. He's enraptured by Eve's beauty, by what God gave him. And so now we see that more fully in the Song of Songs. And that's precisely what Jesus does. He sees his bride, and he's fascinated with her. Bone by bone, flesh of my flesh. This is my body given for you. So, um, lots of exciting things. I can't wait to talk more about it. So, let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. All right, we'll see you guys next week. It'll be great. Uh, if Pastor Bukes, I'm sure Pastor Bukes is going to get through the first few verses of the Song of Songs.